Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing. You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s, and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings. And then sometimes it'll just be me on the mic hosting an episode where I share a recent reflection or story from my own life as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started. All right, today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Niven McCall-Maza. Niven is the editor-in-chief of The Skim, overseeing its news, money, wellness, audio, and video teams. Under her leadership, The Skim has helped its 12 million plus audience stay up to date on current events, focusing on how they specifically affect women's lives, health, and financial security. She has scaled the company's editorial team and products, expanded its DEI efforts, and spearheaded its 2018 midterm election campaign, which activated 200,000 people to vote. Prior to joining the skim, McCall Maza was a senior editor at NBC News, managing the company's breaking news coverage across all platforms. At NBC, she earned an Emmy nomination for her work covering the San Bernardino shooting and an Emmy win for her coverage of the 2014 MH17 plane crash. In addition to her role at The Skim, McCall Maza is on the board of advisors for Grace Farms Foods, which uses food to foster good in the world. She was also featured on GV's 2021 impact list as one of 25 women making a difference in the company's culture and success. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Niven. Hello. Hi, Erica. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to chat. I'm a, a loyal Skim subscriber. You'll be happy to know. I know about the skim. I love the skim. And I think I've been a subscriber for hmm, years, long time. I want to go, can I say eight years? Is that right? Yeah, we've been around 10 years. So love to meet any early subscriber. We are are so thankful to you and really glad that you know and like the skim. That's so exciting. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm like, I will say I'm in a phase of life now where I really struggle with like reading my newsletters it's a really challenging problem I have because there's several that I really love. So yeah, but I, I definitely subscribe and love. So before we get into the meat of the interview, we do start every show with a fun question. You can take it any direction you want. What is something new that you've learned in this past week that you can share with our audience? I love this question. Actually, me and my husband try to do this often of like, what's something you learned today? I would say, so my husband and I, watch started some show on Netflix this week and I'm going to blank on the name but I'm going to just say it's something like what's the plot give me like an actor the plot maybe I know it's it. a nature documentary Ooh. and it's called like life on this planet or something okay and it's about how earth was able to sustain life and I was a history major so this is kind of embarrassing to admit but I I don't know as much as I should about evolution. And the thing that I learned was that life on Earth all started from one single cell, but that it then took billions of years for that cell to actually turn into life forms. 
And I feel like I probably should have known that and I didn't. But I feel like that's a little more sciencey. Like I'm going with like, that's a little more biology. Yeah, I think it's totally fair that I didn't know I that. agree. It's not really history. <laughs> history to me is like, like since humans were created, what have been like the conflicts, regional, personal, societal, between all the things. And my focus was like European history. We were not learning about cells. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This feels, you know what I'm going to say? This feels like a different thing. This feels like evolutionary biology. This feels like the history of the earth. This is almost yeah. like geologic. We're feeling like these are separate things. So I think you're, you have a pass. Yeah. So that was, it was interesting. And I think overall, my takeaway from it and like this series, and granted, we're only one episode in, but my takeaway was that we are just little blips on this earth, you know? And just like, it's a good reminder of there's so many things that I get so stressed about on a day to day basis. And it's like, not that nothing matters, but it is just like a reminder of like, this is, we are lucky to have figured out how to live on this earth and just enjoy, enjoy what you can of, of this life. And like, don't stress about these very trivial things. I think that's so valuable. And I think we probably all need to hear that more, especially like super type A people that get so worked up about the little things. It's like, we're on a floating rock. The fact that you even exist, and I've seen some stats where like, you know, it's like a one in trillion chance that you were even in existence, right? You got to chill a sec. And I think that's, it's a good thing to hear. And I, I'm glad that that was your takeaway. I feel like these things can also be a spiral. Like for me, sometimes when I really think about like the meaning of life and like earth and like black holes and energy and the fact that death is death, I can get a little also like a little spirally about it. So I'm glad that when you thought about where we've come and where we are, that it was a more of a positive takeaway. I want to acknowledge I'm very impressed with the, <laughs> with the like rose-colored lens <laughs> of the takeaway. Yeah. Well, the takeaway was just like girl, you need to chill out. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I need to hear that too. So, and then European history, which we'll get into the college stuff, but I will say that was like the one subject in school that I just, it didn't work out well. I did eighth European <laughs> history in 10th grade, the lowest grade I ever got in high school. I got a B minus. Really? I think I got a B minus and I got a B plus for like my two grades. When I tell you that that class was the death of me, I mean, that class was, it is not my strength not my strength at all. I'm so curious, like, where did the passion for European history come about? Was it just you loved the courses? Was it something that you always were interested in? To me, that's like so foreign, like the idea of loving European history, but I'm so happy for you. <laughs> I just... Well, first off, I, I love the humble brag that B minus was your lowest grade that you ever got. So oh, in high school. On that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, I was like a psychotic, like straight A. I wish that was the case. Yeah. No, it was like a whole problem. But, you know, we have a little more balance now, but no. I worked hard in high school. You know, I don't know if I have a great answer for the European history interest. I think I was very fortunate to have had been able to travel a lot when I was younger. My dad worked for NBC Olympics. What a cool job. Very cool. And since I was a kid, kind of, we got to follow him around to places wherever the Olympics were and really saw at a young age just how vast the world is and, and different cultures and understanding that the U.S. is one culture. It's like one way of doing things. And so I think that's probably where some of it started was just like wanting to understand other cultures better 
And also my mom is a total history buff. So our house growing up was just like books galore. And so I think probably some combination of like my mom constantly talking about history and then going to some of these places just made me super interested in that and and understanding how other cultures came about and how we can continue to try to be a civilization that's moving towards progress. Yeah. It sounds like there's also such a comfort with these topics. Like I think if you grew up in a family where you haven't really seen anything outside of America or you don't really know much about history, it's like, it's so foreign to think about, oh, there's another way of life and there was time before now. And I I think a lot of households do not grow up like that. So that's probably spot on. What did he do with the, your father, with the NBC Olympics? Like what was his role? And second question is, where was your favorite place you went? That's unreal. I love the Olympics. Uh, favorite place I went. That's such a great question. I I don't know if I have like one set favorite place. I think the the ones that stand out to me a lot were Sydney, Australia, because it was just, I got to go to school there for a little bit. And that was a really cool experience because they have a very different way of going about education that I found really interesting, which is really just their classes, frankly, were longer. So you really get to like dive into a subject in a way that I feel like, at least at my school, it was kind of like very regimented, boom, 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 each class. Greece is a really, really cool place. I was there, I went to Athens. And then I would say I loved Beijing because it's just, you know, so much culture there. I think that's a place where, you know, I felt a bit out of place and I love that. I love feeling out of place. <laughs> so I love that. Um, that was a really interesting place to go. And my dad, sorry to answer your question, my dad, yeah. he is in engineering and technology. So his job was is figuring out how to basically get a television production on air when it's being broadcast across the world. Whoa. Okay, that's very and I important. don't know enough about technology and engineering to explain it more than that. <laughs> It's good enough. Okay. So it sounds like also what your father did too is becoming more important with time because it's becoming even more of a production. It's becoming even more of a spectacle. And so I would imagine his role is becoming even more dramatic, you know, the longer he's been there. For sure. I think the, it became so every, every Olympics, I think became so much bigger of a deal and kind of what we expected is a bigger thing. You know, I think about We just have a different relationship, I think, with entertainment and access than we did, you know, in 1980s. And so I think when he first started, you watched something at 8 p.m., even if that competition had happened at 11 a.m., you don't know what the results are. So you're excited to watch at 8 p.m. and see what what goes on. But that might have been a taped feed. Now with social media, everything is instant. You know who the winner is immediately. And so you have to be able to like simulcast that instantaneously Mm. so that you're not beat out by social media. So that task I think did become really difficult. And I think that's something also in, in the skims world and, and, you know, media as a whole and in news, social media really, really just has changed the game of, what people expect and when and how quickly. And, you know, I think whether that be broadcast or whether that be journalism, 
social media has had just this huge impact in kind of what we are all expecting in terms of how we deliver information and how quick we do it. Yeah. And the accuracy with which we expect it. Like it's so crazy. It's like the timeliness, but it's also the accuracy and the wording and the messaging. It's, it's a lot of pressure and it only mounts more and more, the more online we get. That's so cool. And then last thing on this is just like, did you ever do sports growing up or wanted to do sports because you were around all these incredible athletes? Like I would imagine, especially if you're going to school in Sydney, I imagine you guys were in the Olympic village a lot. I mean, I, whenever I watch the Olympics, I always feel like I cannot believe I'm not a gymnast or a snowboarder or something. I'm like, how did I not take up a sport? I can only imagine actually being there. You would, you would feel that, or did you not experience that as much? Absolutely not. I am the <laughs> least athletic person that you will meet. I ran track as a kid. And I think part of that was just because I don't know if the phrase I like solitude is the right thing to say, but I feel like I'm very internally driven. And so that to me was a good sport of like, I'm trying to best myself every time. But no, I was not and still am not very good at athletics. I'm definitely more of like a behind the scenes person. And what I found interesting about going to the Olympics was just like being part of the culture and then also going through the International Broadcast Center and seeing what people did. And I got to work intern at two of them and really understand kind of like what it takes to put a production like that together. That's, I think, what interested me the most. I was very clear of my limitations in terms of physical ability. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's amazing because you ended up going into this world of journalism and like reporting and production. And so that's actually great. Like you plop yourself in the Olympics. People are drawn to different things. Some people might be drawn to the costumes, right? Mm -hmm. Of like the opening ceremonies and they become a costume designer. Like some people might want to be an athlete. Uh, You know, clearly my aspirations are I wanted to be an athlete, but I couldn't also be an athlete. (laughs) And you were like production. Like, that's the cool thing. Like all the big cameras and the stuff your dad was doing, which is really cool. Okay, so tell me a little bit more about where you grew up. I know you ended up going off to Marymount University and obviously studying European history, which you said. But what was like childhood like for you? And did you have any big dreams of exactly what you wanted to do when you grew up? Or was that something that you figured out a little bit more along the way? So I grew up in Massachusetts, raised in Connecticut, had a very pleasant childhood. Shout out to my parents and my brother. And really, I think very family focused family. I've got a ton of cousins that are a huge part of just who I am. I had eight girl cousins in a four to five year age range. And so really felt like I grew up with having seven sisters, which is so great. And, you know, in terms of what I wanted to be and kind of how I got to where I am now, it's a kind of all around (laughs) messy journey of just figuring that out. I think I always wanted to be a, (laughs) it's kind of funny, but I wanted to be an actor or an actress or like a model or I wanted to be famous. That was really like, if we're being honest, I wanted to be famous. Yeah. This is, we're only being honest, by the way. So this is like, you know, circle of trust. Give it to me. Okay. So you wanted to be famous. What was there like someone that was famous that you wanted to be, or was it more just this like aspirational thing? No, It was just like the, like, whoa, fame is cool. That would be so cool. If I were like, it was at the time where like teen Vogue, 17 magazine, I would like rip out photos of Nicole Richie and put them on like next to my mirror and it was like one day I'm going to be an actress even though Nicole Richie is not not an actress but 
you know, I think I just was convinced that that was what success meant is like being photographed in Hollywood. And that was not my path. (laughs) I mean, listen, you're on a podcast now and you're the editor in chief at The Skim. So some might argue you did achieve that. I mean, Mm, interesting. You're not Nicole Richie, maybe for the best. She seems (laughs) lovely, but you know, in some ways I would say you did achieve that. You know, people know what The Skim is. Being the editor in chief, people know what that is. You are on a podcast. You will probably be on many more. So. Thank you, Erica. I think what I learned out of that was like, I, well, I don't know. I don't know what I, I think I just was, you know, young. And the main through line I would say of everything that I've done is just really being interested in kind of the advancement of women. Mm -hmm. So my mom would take me and my best friend when we were like probably way too young to even get what was going on to these like women's conferences. And it was, you know, my best friend and her mom and me and my mom. And I just remember at one of them, we saw, we met Mary Robinson, who was like the first president of Ireland. And they really instilled in us and both me and my best friend, like women are powerful and women can be anything. And like, you will be anything and you will be powerful. And it was like, okay, no pressure. And when we were in high school, we started this group called Power which is Project of Women's Whoa. Essential Rights. Amazing name. I love like an acronym that spells something out, you know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> so satisfying. Um, and, you know, I think over time, I kind of lost the that plot a little bit, but it's mm-hmm. so interesting because I think, you know, I was I was working in news and I felt like I wasn't totally getting everything I, I needed necessarily in that specific path. And was very drawn to the skim because it was a company that was for women by women and have really just been so happy there over the past six and a half years because we are just doing everything we can to serve this millennial women audience. Yeah. That's so powerful. It's funny. I hear you talk about taking off those magazine images of Nicole Richie and putting them up. That was like the woman of the day. That was like who we idolized in society as like, you know, the it girl. And I think what's really cool about the skim is you guys talk about, you know, like maybe a little bit more like nuanced topics. Now, don't get me wrong. Pop culture and fashion is so fun too, of course, but like financial literacy and health and some of these like more meaty things. And so it's actually cool. I'm like almost seeing there's like a through line of like redefining like who that like it woman is and like the things that we idolize instead of it being like, oh, I just want to be a woman that's famous. Like, no, I want to be a rich woman. I want to be a healthy woman. I want to be a powerful woman. I want to be smart woman. And like, it's like almost changing the narrative a little bit based on like the woman you saw growing up, you know? I'm not sure if that resonates, but that's how I'm interpreting it too. I love that analysis. And I like to think the skim played somewhat of a a role in that. But I think that's also just the nature of, you know, the culture. And I think that millennials, and especially Gen Z, really are trying to kind of like change that narrative. And I think that is a lot of what we at The Skim really try to encourage and help with is just, you know, our goal is really trying to give women the information they need to make confident decisions in their life whether that be investments or whether that be taking better control of their health. And, you know, that's not always, it's not 
sexy all the time, but it is like what makes us powerful in our day-to-day lives. And that's really what we are focused on is how do we help women in their day-to-day lives to have as much agency as they can have. And especially as they're continuing to age and go into different life stages, we have tried to evolve with that. So we started just as our daily skim newsletter, which is, you know, goes out once a day and is really just everything that you need to know. And that I think at the time, it continues to be incredibly useful, but especially at the time that it felt like there was, you know, just a lot of noise. It was like, how can we really help women where they need it, which is having one place they can go to have get trusted information. Then we realized, you know, I think there's also an opportunity to really help women when it comes to their finances. And, you know, it's something that I think women still are not having those conversations or being afforded, you know, that training of how to manage your money when we're younger. And so it's like, you know, I wish these were conversations that we all have when we're in our teens. And I, you know, like if anyone, if anyone, you know, has either a daughter or a niece or someone in their life that is younger, I encourage you to talk to them because these are important life skills for us all to have. I feel like I learned finances and the importance of them way too late. That's something in my 20s, I feel like, God, I wish I had saved more. I just was kind of like, you know, you don't have a lot of money. So it's like any money you do have, it's like, woo, let's 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 go go to Greece. Let's go to a trip. (laughs) Yeah. But it's like looking back on it, I'm like, God, I just wish I had someone kind of guiding me. And that's what we try to provide our audience is that guidance that they may not be getting elsewhere. And then, you know, when, when COVID hit, it was just a really clear example of the need for accurate trusted health information. And we launched SkimWell, and our, that's really been a really interesting vertical for us as I think women continue to be misunderstood and kind of just, you know, ignored, frankly, in the health space, either because women are not involved in kind of key studies or they're not listened to by their doctor. There's, you know, still a ton of medical gaslighting or the fact that, you know, women's maternal health care is just in the U.S. is frankly like not where it should be for where we are as an industrialized country. And so I think there it's just a huge space where women, not that they necessarily need help, but there our ability to take ownership of our health could be stronger if we had better allies. And so how can we be that ally for our audience that they need when they're in a doctor's office and, you know, providing things like scripts for when they're talking to their doctor and the doctor might not be taking them seriously enough. And then most recently, we just launched um, parenting. Our audience is starting to become parents and growing with them, which is really cool. Yeah, Growing with them. And, you know, I just became a parent. And so I, this is like a newsletter that I'm like, I totally relate to all of the content in this newsletter. And that I think has just been a really, you know, exciting to see how we continue to evolve this brand as our audience continues to go through different life stages. And we want to make sure that we're there to meet them and help them wherever we can. Absolutely. Thank you for walking through that. It's cool to see how it's evolved. And this idea of like you just being this like guiding light that's there to be accurate, to be honest, to grow with um, your users is everything. That's really cool. So before you went to the skim, 
from a chronological standpoint, you, you graduated from college, then you immediately went to NBC News. You were there for a bit and then you went to the skim. So let's talk about the news piece. And then I want to get into like how you even found out about the skim. And it sounds like there was this like pivotal moment with connecting with the the kind of everyday woman that you wanted to, to tap back into. But walk me through the early days of deciding to join NBC News. I Obviously, your father worked at, with NBC Olympics. Sounds like you had a couple internships. What made you decide to go that path after graduating with your history degree? You know, first I would say graduating with a history degree was what I ended with. <laughs> so I started as an international business major, and then I took a year off of school to model. Again, still convinced that somehow that. I, would reach, I would reach this fame track. <laughs> Wait, tell me more uh, about the modeling thing. Did you just like, did you move to LA and try to make it and it worked? It didn't work? What was that? That's so interesting. No, I was doing it in New York City. I had an agent. And I was doing showroom modeling, which was basically you go to a designer's showroom and you are modeling their upcoming collection for buyers. So you have like 30 buyers sitting in front of you and you're coming out in an outfit and kind of spinning around and they're asking about like the fit and the whatever. And, you know, a Macy's buyer is like, okay, we're going to take making this up 300 units of that shirt. So it was, I don't know, it was interesting, but I think- Did you like it? Was it everything you wanted and more? I did not like it in any way. I hated it. And I think that it made me really, really resilient because you're just going into cold calls and like showing your, you know, here's my book and here's, you know, here's who I am. And they're like, no, 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 I don't like your look. And you're like- great. (laughs) You know, you just cannot let it get to you. So I feel like of anything I've ever done that helped me be incredibly resilient and just not take things personally. Cause it's like, you know what, they don't know me in any way. I'm just not right for this campaign that they need. And that's all. And it's a business decision and that's life. It's a good lesson to learn though. Yeah. Be able to face rejection, (laughs) be able to not take it so personally. It was was a good lesson. So I only did that for a year. Then I transferred to Marymount and was like, you know what? I don't, I don't like being a model, but maybe I'll do the business side of fashion. And then also realized that didn't make sense for me. And then I ended up as a history major. So I had kind of a long process through college of like figuring myself out. And I hated college so much and was always knew like, I was like, I just need to get through college. I just need to get a job. And that's where I'll just like find my people and people will understand me. But I just got to get through this time period. And I think I was right about that. (laughs) You know, I think some people love college. It just wasn't for me. And so I was a history major and really didn't know what I wanted to do with it, to be honest with you. I think the main thing that people say when you're a history major is like, oh, so you're going to be a professor. You're going to teach. Or get like a PhD and publish or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I don't think I'm going to do that, but I don't really know what I'm going to do. So I had done a couple internships in DC because it's Marymount is based in Arlington, Virginia. So I interned at the Library of Congress and I interned for a Connecticut congressman and you know, got a good understanding of politics, policy, liked that. And then I, I had done a couple of internships at um, NBC Olympics and kind of the like telecoms and 
like behind the scenes TV space. And I was actually supposed to work for this congressman post college, but at the very last minute, the job fell through. So I had nothing. I graduated with like no career plan. And that felt incredibly stressful at the time. And I had to move home, live with my parents and get a job at an art gallery for just a couple of months while I had to then restart my job hunt. So I felt a bit like a failure. (laughs) Isn't it crazy to think about that now, though, that like, of course, you're supposed to not know what you're doing at 21. Of course. Yes. And I, I like have no, you know, it is, it's all just like part of the journey, right? But at the moment, it felt like, crap, what is my plan? I'm living with my parents and making pennies. And I ended up watching hardcore journalists would really judge me for this. But I watched the newsroom that show with, I don't know why I'm blanking, Jeff Daniels, and was like, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. That is what I'm going to do because it's this intersection of like TV and news and history and all of this. And I feel like the energy is weird and intense and I can handle it. It's like a sprinkle of the modeling thing because there's like the anchors and there's sort of like a production element, like a performance element. So yes. we, we've even got that a little bit, like maybe the yeah, best and I was like, it. This is it. This is for me. And wow. so I got this really low, <laughs> low level, like entry position at NBC News. It was like a one year contract, no benefits, which like at the time didn't matter because I was under 26 and like still on my parents insurance. And I was on the break. So I I started on the breaking news desk there as a, as a researcher and then worked my way up over the next four years, became a full-time employee, got benefits, which was great. And then ended as a senior editor at NBC. And that was a really intense time period. It was from 2013 to 2017. I learned a ton. You know, I don't have a traditional journalism background. I didn't go to journalism school. So I felt a bit, not judged, but like a bit of an imposter at the time. I had to really learn on the job. But it's an incredibly fast paced. I mean, the breaking news desk is just, you are in the thick of chaos every single day. And it can mess with you, to be honest with you. You are basically dealing with people's worst days every day. And I would say at the time period of this 2013 to 2017, when I was there, I don't know if it was, but it felt like the height of, this is grim, but, you know, like terror attacks and mass shootings. And that was just start, it, like every, every month there was some major event like that. And, you know, that can really affect your psyche after a while of, of covering so many of those, because there's what the audience sees. And then there's what you have to decide of like, there's a lot the audience doesn't see because it's not safe for air to show. It's too gruesome, but we, we see all of it. And you decide. Um, So you're the one that sees all the gruesome. Yeah. Yeah. And you're talking to people's mothers when they're, they've lost their kids and you're asking for photos so that you can humanize this story. And, you know, I think that news does a lot of good, but it can also be, it can be really tough when you're in it. And I think for my mental health, I felt like 
I had reached my limit. I mean, that's four years of like being there when it's all happening. It reminds me too of like being a doctor and having to always, especially if you deal with like the dying, unfortunately, telling loved ones that people have died just over and over and over again. It's like the yep. trauma of that, you know, like did you guys get like the proper counseling and support that you needed to like deal with the trauma of all these things happening and bombarding you and always being in this like emotional state of distress? You know, I know it was offered. I never took anyone up on it. And I, I wish I had at the time. But I think for me, it was just like, you don't even always realize it. Like, I'm not sure I always realized it in the moment. Sometimes it's like, of course, it's so subconscious, a lot of it, because you're in go mode. Yeah, there are things now that I still deal with that I'm like, oh, that's probably like a response to things that I, I did at my job. But I knew when it was time to go. And the skim was a brand that I loved. Like I was a skim reader and they had an opening for a nighttime editor. So I was lucky enough to get that. I was so freaking excited. Like I can't even tell you how excited I was. This was like a nocturnal job. Is that right? You're like up at night editing and then you sleep during the day. Is that what this yeah, job was? I will say at NBC, like every shift I had was also like that. So I did like a 4 a.m. to 10 a.m. shift. I did a 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. weekend overnight shift. So like truly no life. Like the story of my 20s is like me not having a life <laughs> and like falling asleep at parties. Like that was, that's my life is like, oh yeah, Niven, she's asleep on the couch over there because she does the 4 a.m. shift. Unreal. Um, so that was sad. But it all worked out. I frankly, I, the one thing I will say is I met my husband at NBC and now I have a beautiful baby boy. And so I will always look back very fondly on that time period. You trauma um, bond a little bit too. Like when you're doing those crazy nights and you're working so hard, you like get so close to your colleagues as well. So, you know, like you yes. said, you might not have met him otherwise. You probably wouldn't have. So silver lining. One thing I loved about the scam and a reason I wanted to go there is because the model of NBC and just kind of like news organizations or breaking news on TV is very like you are having to break news in the same time that let's say you're competing with CNN and seeing their banner and you need to have the same, whatever it is, you need to confirm it immediately. The skim is not like that. The skim puts out a newsletter once a day at 6 a.m., it is not there to bombard the reader with a million breaking news updates. And frankly, I think it can provide much better, more cohesive coverage of a story because of it. Because we are, you know, kind of the antithesis of like noise, 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 noise. Like our goal is really figure out what's gone on over the past day and how do we synthesize that for an audience to help them make sense of it. And so that they only have to read this one thing to understand what's going on. I appreciated that as a reader. And frankly, I appreciate that as an employee <laughs> because it just makes it so that you're not headline chasing. And I think that headline chasing is just a tough, it's just tough to provide the nuance, I think, that a lot of people need to understand certain stories. And so I'm really... I always appreciated the fact that the skim didn't do that and still does not do that and really tries to really just focus on like, what do you need to know and how do we serve that to you in a way that is time well spent? 
Yeah. And like you said, it helps you build a healthier relationship with the media. Like you can get in these downward spirals. I mean, when these shootings would happen, I would spend hours and hours and hours. This is like, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes. It's concise so that you also can better manage your relationship because these things are addicting. Our notifications, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever. And so I think that also is like a really important piece of it too, is like you really can say like, I'm just going to do the skim or I'm just going to do these two or three sources and that's it. As opposed to going kind of down these like crazy paths. I could keep talking to you forever about this stuff. I do want to be mindful of your time. So I have one final question for you. You've given lots of gems of advice throughout this chat, but is there one piece of advice you would give to all 20 somethings that you'd like them to take away? I would say find your people, find your environment. I think that can mean something to different people. For me, you know, I felt like college wasn't the right thing for me. And like, there were things about NBC that wasn't totally right for me, but I felt like at the skim, like that was a place that really got me. And because of that, I felt like I was able to really showcase my talents and like rise in the ranks in a way that I don't know if I had ever been able to do before or could potentially do at a different company. I think they understood who I was. And so I do think that's like just such a key thing is kind of finding a place that sees you for who you are and values what you can bring to the table. And again, that could look different for, for different people. I think in my 20s, that meant like my personality. It meant, um, you know, finding people that I really connected with because to the point of like, you know, the trauma at work, like having um, connections and having coworkers that are your friends, like that means everything. And I had such a great group both at NBC and at the skim that I've made. In my 30s, I think that really means, you know, finding a place that I has things that I value. So, you know, having a child, it's so important to me that I was able to take paid family leave and that we have childcare benefits and you know, we've we've launched a show us your leave and show us your childcare campaign in an effort of helping other people basically find companies that have those benefits that that matter to them and be able to advocate for that at their jobs if that's something that that their place of employment doesn't offer. And so whatever that thing is for you, I think can be different, whether it's like something you value or just someone valuing you and your skill set. But I feel like that has always been, I think, the biggest thing for me that I've been looking for is, you know, I think I can be a hard to read person sometimes. And so I don't know if everyone always like got me, but I feel like the people at the skim always did. And that allowed me to kind of thrive in a way that felt very authentic to me. And I think was like, probably the best thing that I could have ever asked for. I love that. And I, I love this idea of like, it's not even like what you think of them. It's how they make you feel like they made you feel like you belonged. And I think that's something we don't do enough in life, even with our relationships, like where we live, where we work, like not what do we think of it, but how does it make us feel? That's so powerful. Niven, thanks for being here. This was such a fun chat. It was so great to, to hear your story and obviously rising through the ranks, nighttime editor to editor in chief. You know, you found your thing. And um, we're grateful you shared your story with us. So thank you. Thank you, Eric. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20-something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20-something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts.